If your business is tired of paying unpredictable and high phone bills, do what I did. Switch to Zoom Call's cloud business phone service. You'll pay the same low amount every month, no matter how many calls you have in the U.S. and Canada. And Zoom Calls has a really cool feature called voicemail drops. Whenever you reach someone's voicemail, just say hi in their name and then click a couple of buttons on your phone to leave your pre-recorded message. It saves both your voice and your time. Check out zoomcalls.com. That's zoomcalls.com. I think you'll love it. Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. Well, that is right. Glenn is right. Thank you, Glenn, for that astonishing introduction. You are listening to the home of conservative, not bitter talk, and I am your host, Todd Huff, where you can catch me on Facebook Live this morning, facebook.com slash Todd Huff Show. You can also email me thoughts, questions, opinions, adoration, and praise. I'm kidding, though I will probably accept it. Todd at ToddHuffShow.com. Should you want to connect with me on email as well. So, hope you had a great weekend. Happy Martin Luther King Day. I want to start today by talking about what's going to be happening tomorrow. That's the impeachment trial of President Donald J. Trump. And I want to clear up a couple of misconceptions here Off the top of the program, I have seen some misunderstandings, heard some, read some, been involved in some discussions about this process, this impeachment, where we are in the process, what it means, definitions. There's just been some confusion. I want to take a couple of minutes here off the top just to kind of explain that, alleviate any uh, concerns or questions uh, pertaining to some technical I don't know, just uh, where we stand in the process. I also want to talk about Trump's legal team, which has now been described as, well, a team of uh, for reality show, uh, reality TV show hosts dream, I guess you could say. We'll talk about some of those. We'll talk about one of those individuals in particular, the defense that he is going to be presenting uh, before the Senate, and a couple of other things I want to make sure I get to as well. Next week, I should say off the top, next week we will be beginning the second hour of this program. I know I'm a, a week or so late when it's all said and done, a couple of weeks late in transitioning here, but we will be kicking off next week on our second hour. I will be filling you in with more information about that uh, the remainder of this week, and then we'll get started uh, with that uh, sometime next week. Specific day is still to be determined, but I'm, I'm looking at probably Wednesday at this particular point. And the New York Times has come out. The New York Times has come out and endorsed their Democratic candidate of choice. I shouldn't say candidate because surprisingly, there's more than one in 2020. So we'll get to all that. But I want to start start up front with this with this impeachment trial tomorrow. So. 
I want to address one misconception. Some folks, and I've seen this in places on Facebook or I've heard some folks discuss this, there's a little bit of confusion. So President Trump has been impeached. That is the job of the House of Representatives. Now, whether that is a justifiable decision, whether that's living in fantasy world, whether that's a continuation of Trump derangement syndrome, as folks have uh, alluded to or stated in the past, that's another discussion. But Trump has been impeached. There is nothing that's going to change that. He has been impeached. That does not mean anything technically other than he's now going to be tried. I don't mean to minimize it. Please. So when you've, when you've been impeached along purely political lines, which is what we saw in this impeachment nonsense. In fact, we had a couple, a couple of Democrats actually vote uh, either present or against one or both of the impeachment articles that went through the House of Representatives. The House's job is to raise the issue and deliver it to the Senate, right? That's the impeachment part of the process. You could say it's the equivalent of being charged with the crime in a criminal case. Now, none of these things are perfect analogies because there are differences. We are dealing with politicians. I mean, the jury cannot be sequestered. In fact, I saw uh, Chuck Schumer. By the way, there's lots of – you go back to 1999 because some of these folks have been in Washington, D.C. for a bazillion years, right? You go back to 1999, same folks, many of the same folks. Some of them were in the House. Now they're in the Senate. Some of them were in the Senate, all this kind of stuff. Some of them were in the House and still are in the House. If you look at what they were saying because the, the, the shoe's on the other foot now. A Republican is now facing the impeachment drama, whereas in 1998 and 1999, it was President Bill Clinton, a Democrat. So Democrats were saying many of the same things Republicans are saying now about really what is impeachable. So that that has flipped. Republicans are now uh, defending, to some degree, the president as the Democrats were defending the president back in 1998 and 99. So it doesn't take much effort to go back through the archives and find interviews or speeches from the House floor or some comment these folks made to some news outlet back in the late 90s that seems to completely contradict what they're saying today. So that's not uh, hard to do, and Chuck Schumer's one of them. It's happening on both sides. It's happening on both sides, and so – but the first – the most important thing to understand is that Trump has been impeached. Nancy Pelosi, while it was gloating, while it was, I think, beneath the Speaker of the House to basically – well, she was handing out her ceremonial ink pens, her celebratory ink pens. Remember, she wants us to think, ah, oh, it's just the saddest day in American history, fighting back tears. She's been praying for the president. She comes out. She has the signing ceremony. She's handing out ink pens as – to, to mark this moment in time, as she told us so eloquently in that silly little speech, time is something that we mark with time, and we talk to people about time, and it's time that we mark time with the president's time to be impeached from the office of president. It's time. That's the kind of nonsense she was uttering up there. She's handing out celebratory ink pens because he had been impeached. He has been impeached. So whatever happens in the Senate in the sense of determining if the president has been impeached or not, is, is really irrelevant. It's the, it's the equivalent to saying just because someone was acquitted in a jury trial 
does not mean that he or she was not charged with the crime. In fact, if you look at many job uh, applications, you'll you'll see the question isn't well. It depends, I guess. I think I've seen it both ways. Have you been charged with a crime? Have you been convicted of a crime? Those are two different questions. Yes, you may have been charged with a crime, but you may not have been convicted of a crime. And even if you've been convicted of a crime, you may not have spent any time in prison. There might have been other penalties and consequences for said crime. So there's a series of, uh, I guess, you're at different parts of the process, depending upon where you are at that particular point in time. Trump has been charged. Trump has been impeached. The House of Representatives have voted on that. There is no one doing that. He's one of three presidents in history to be impeached. Andrew Johnson... Uh, back in 1868, Bill Clinton back in 1999, actually te- technically December of 98, and now Trump back last uh, last month in 2019. Those are the three that have been impeached in the history of this great nation. So now the, the question is now revolving around what happens at the trial because the trial now goes to the Senate. The House is done, right? Nancy Pelosi was holding on to her papers before they did, they did that dramatic march across the Capitol last week where they looked like they were mourning. They were the equivalent of pallbearers walking across the Capitol grounds, very, very saddened looks on their faces, probably their celebratory ink pens tapped, uh, tucked inside their suit jackets as they walked across the Capitol grounds to deliver the articles of impeachment to the Senate so that they could then do what they need to do constitutionally with these, with these articles of impeachment. And so... So Trump has built his legal team, and there's going to be three names that you probably have heard, three names that you have not heard, but here it is. Ken Starr, remember Ken Starr was involved back in the Clinton investigation. He was the, what, the special prosecutor or whatever the the title was back then when he was investigating, special investigator, special prosecutor, looking into all this stuff pertaining to Bill Clinton He's now on the Trump legal team. Alan Dershowitz. Alan Dershowitz is a leftist. Alan Dershowitz is a liberal. But Alan Dershowitz is one that actually cares, cares about civil liberties in this nation, about our Constitution, about our framework. In fact, you may have heard him out on, I don't know, seen him on television. Maybe you've read something that he's written where he's defending President Trump in the sense of, of saying, look, this is – we're talking about political issues here, not impeachable offenses. I'm going to talk about his his particular defense, I guess, of President Trump. Pam Bondi from Florida. You may know the name uh, Pam Bondi, I believe former attorney general of the state of Florida. Jane Serene Raskin, Eric Hirschman, and Robert Ray are the three that you may not be aware of. But folks are saying this is, of course, the... Legal dream team for a reality TV host's uh, wildest dreams come true, right? This is how this is being portrayed. Um, and look, I, I think it's it's clever. I love the addition of Dershowitz. I do. I really like that addition. And Ken Starr is an interesting one to add to, for my estimation. Ken Starr was on the side in the late 90s putting together the case effectively uh, that would then be used by Republicans to try to impeach Clinton. Now he's on the other side. So effectively, what this says symbolically, of course, there's a political component here as well. But what it says symbolically is, hey, the guy that thought we should impeach or had evidence to 
present to impeach the former, the last person that was impeached, Bill Clinton. He's actually on the side saying we don't, we haven't risen, we haven't seen it, uh, the level of impeachable activity in this case, impeachable offenses, I should say, with President Trump. So now he's on the team. But I like this edition of Alan Dershowitz, and I want to talk because I'm looking here at the clock. Looking here at the clock, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this second segment. Take a time out here because I don't have time to get into it. But we're gonna pick up next segment with Alan Dershowitz's defense argument for President Trump. Again, Alan Dershowitz, a liberal, defending President Trump in this impeachment saga. And so I want to talk about what he's he's kind of laying the groundwork for his impeachment. You may have seen or read this, and I'll post this to Facebook too if you've not seen or read this. But we're going to talk about that next segment. But it's time for me to take a quick time out. Sit tight. You are listening to the home of conservative, not better talk. I am your host, Todd Huff. Back in just a minute. Welcome back. By the way, by the way, if you're listening here in central Indiana, this program is brought to you by the good folks of Economy Heating, Air Conditioning, and Plumbing. Now, I know that this is the coldest time of the year. I'm not a fan of this. You know this. The cold is not my gig, but but it is a natural part of living here in central Indiana. If you're having problems keeping your home warm, looking to have someone come and take a look at your furnace, HVAC system. Consider the folks at Economy Heating, Air Conditioning, and Plumbing. You can find out more information by visiting them online, economyheatingandair.com. That's economyheatingandair.com here in central Indiana. And for those of you that are listening in Utah and, of course, elsewhere on the podcast around the world, there will be uh, – we're, we're working as we expand. Have our sales director now, John, which you may hear from John here in the not-too-distant future as well. But we have some – uh, we'll have some uh, – we're growing our, our Utah advertising base as well, so you'll hear more from our Utah-based advertisers. But we appreciate your patience and uh, support of our advertisers wherever they wherever they may be. So I want to get back into this discussion here with Dershowitz. I want to look at Dershowitz's argument, his defense of President Trump. Now, Dershowitz says, look, I'm basing my argument, basing my argument upon a speech given by Justice Benjamin Curtis – Back during the trial, the impeachment trial of President Andrew Jackson back in 19, excuse me, 1868, 1868, and basically, this is what he, he said in an interview I saw yesterday. He said, look, if you want to know what I'm going to be arguing, go and read the speech by Justice Benjamin Curtis, who made the case against the impeachment of Andrew Johnson. And by the way, if I've ever said Jackson at any point, forgive me. It's a slip of the tongue. Um, Andrew Jackson was not impeached. He's the seventh president of the United States. You'll find his face on the $20 bill. We're talking about Andrew Johnson. By the way, side note, when I was a student at American University back in 1999, 21 years ago, I probably went around this time, 21 years ago. Incredible to think about. Time flies. But as, as I was a student at American University, I attended a small, uh, a small church near – actually, I would say 
I guess it's near or on camp. I don't know if it's on campus. It's not part of the university, but where I stayed and where the main campus was, it was between there. So I don't know what they consider that. So near on campus, whatever the case may be. Not not college run though. I want to make that clear. But I went to a little church called Temple Baptist Church, and it was it was the church that Andrew Johnson attended. That was one of the things the pastor shared with me. Now, the building wasn't where it was when I attended. I attended in the 1990s, not in the 1870s or whenever Andrew Johnson went there. But the case, point is, is that that was his church, which is interesting. It has nothing to do with his impeachment, of course. But since we're talking about Andrew Johnson, it reminded me of that this morning. But this argument that Dershowitz is going to present to the to the Senate, right, uh, regarding this impeachment, these impeachment charges against President Trump is, is basically this. Now, I'm going to summarize this. I'm not an attorney, so I want to not get uh, – <laughs> this is not a legal argument. This is my way of breaking down his legal argument for the purposes of discussion, explanation, and uh, just kind of – I guess, preparation as we head towards the trial of President Trump in the Senate, which again starts tomorrow. So Dershowitz says, look, even if, now I'm going to let this, this needs to sink in if you've not heard this, even if, even if the president is in fact guilty of the charges levied against him by the House of Representatives, they are not impeachable. Let me repeat, again, this is a liberal Democrat Dershowitz, who does believe in civil liberties, who does believe in the Constitution, he's got some really bad political ideas, but as far as defending the structure, the intent of the Constitution, this guy's standing up and, and, and doing the right thing in that regard. So he says, look, even if the president is found guilty of abuse of power, that is not an impeachable offense. He says the founders, and he's again citing this, Speech. You can go back and look. In fact, I'll probably share this. Benjamin Curtis speech back in 1868, defending Andrew Johnson, President Andrew Johnson at the time. He says, look, the, the, the point of impeachment, the, the reason the founders put this in the Constitution is to have some sort of a mechanism to prevent a president from acting uh, criminally. Now, you might say, well, Alan Dershowitz, it talks about high crimes and misdemeanors. Now, misdemeanors are not, I guess you could say, technically are criminal offenses, but they're the smallest ones. But normally when people think of criminal offenses, they think of things that are felonious, felonies. And anyway, but this is what Dershowitz, he's a legal legal scholar. He's been pretty consistent, I think, on the way he's talked about impeachment. He's not really taking the time to defend Trump so much as he said, look, these arguments are political in nature. These arguments are political in nature. This is up to the voter to decide, right? And so it got me to thinking about this a little bit. And, you know, I think that there's something to consider here because, because I'll tell you, number one, for example, let's say that Congress passes something that's unconstitutional. Let's say that that the Congress of the United States passes something like, I don't know, Obamacare, <laughs> just for just for kicks and giggles here, something like Obamacare, which, which is a clear uh, violation or 
overreach of their power, right? Congress passing laws that never needed to be, uh, well, they're not the job of Congress, right? And take, take any of these things that you hear Democrats saying on the debate stage or at their rallies. In fact, I've got a clip of John Cusack saying that we've got 10 to 12 years for Bernie and the other socialists to save us from capitalism or it will be too late. We will destroy ourselves with, with capitalism, says John Cusack. But let's say they come out and, and pass some law doing any of these things that you hear them articulating. That's a, that's a stretch of the definition of that word. But proclaiming without any sort of, I don't know, rationale or logic, just proclaiming everything's free. Let's say that they, they, Congress passes a law instituting some of these ideas, and let's say that it is, in fact, unconstitutional. Let's say that it takes away uh, someone's liberty in order to provide something from, for someone else, which is often the case. But let, just take your pick, and let's say that there's a clear example of Congress doing something outside the, the bounds of the Constitution. Should they be removed from office, everyone that voted in favor of said legislation? Because that's, in a, that's, I guess, similar, in a sense, to what Dershowitz is saying. If the president is abusing his power, there's other mechanisms to address this, right? If the president is doing things that uh, are truly unconstitutional, then certain mechanisms can kick in, certain actions can be taken to where the president's decisions and actions that are unconstitutional find themselves before the Supreme Court of the United States, which they can then declare unconstitutional. Congress can pass laws, uh, you know, making sure that these inappropriate activities are uh, put into the United States code to reinforce that, hey, this really needs to be, you can't do this, you can't behave in these ways. They can, they can, of course, impeach him as well, but Dershowitz is saying that should be saved for things that are truly criminal in nature, not just something that's political, because this is left up, this should be left up to the voters. This is the whole point of our political system is to have a government of, by, and for the people, whereby we are involved in that process. We're not simply making every political action something that's impeachable, worthy of removal from office, whatever the case may be. I'm just sharing, I'm just sharing and sharing some thoughts, elaborating on his position, which he will do, of course, as this, as this unfolds. But I find this is, this is interesting. I also find it interesting that everybody seems to have opinions about the constitutionality, the legalities of these things as they watch MSNBC or whatever they're watching. And in reality, when you look at research, research shows that Americans have no idea about the Constitution of the United States. In fact, a third of Americans cannot even, cannot even name one single right that's enumerated in the Bill of Rights. I've seen uh, a certain percentage of people cannot name any of the three branches of government. And we have a very illiterate uh, population overall as it pertains to what we have. In our government, what type of system we have? Everyone de- demands that it's a democracy. It's a constitutional republic. It certainly has democratic aspects. That's a good thing. But it also is a constitutional republic, which is also a very good thing with states' rights. We have a federal, not national government. P- 
popular vote doesn't elect the president. At one point in time, state legislators, not just citizens of a state, elected their senators. There was reason and rationale for that until that was changed by the amendment process of the Constitution. So I want to talk about that when we get back, the lack of understanding. People think you know they have opinions on these things, but they don't have any basis a lot of times for these opinions. And that's okay so long as people know this. The problem is they've been stirred into a frenzy by their hatred for President Trump. And so whatever the Democrats are going to say, hey, that sounds good to me, right? They heard somebody on MSNBC or CNN out there uh, proclaiming some of these some of this lunacy, some of this craziness and they'll and they'll repeat it having no idea. But Dershowitz is saying, look, let's be let's be free thinkers. Let's look at this objectively. Let's think let's see past the politics of the person in office. Let's look at what the founders and the framers, you know, well, same group, but whichever term you use, founders or framers intended, and let's work with that. Let's not just wait until the person is of our political party to where we defend them and are if if they're you know an opposite member of the other party we then suddenly find justification for impeaching them because that's our political desire that's not how this is intended to be used and that's kind of what Dershowitz is saying let's save this for the real legitimate problems which should be criminal based uh, activities offenses and so forth not not things that should be addressed politically through the election process, through campaigning, and the like. So that said, more about that will come as this uh, impeachment defense mounts in the Senate. But I've got to take a time out. You are listening to the home of conservative, not bitter, not bitter talk radio. I should advise you at this point in time that listening may in fact cause you to lean to the right. So use extra caution today as you're operating vehicles and heavy machinery. Back in just a minute. Welcome back. So, want to really quickly here want to go through this um, well th- this this discussion on the impeachment process and in particular how everyone has an opinion but they don't have uh, many people don't have a framework within which they can discuss that opinion. It's purely political, and that to Dershowitz's point is the reason that we should not have politically based, politically motivated impeachment proceedings. Instead, instead we should have things that are based in more kind of objective, if you can look at a political process through that lens, more, more objective, not simply something that can be addressed at the ballot box, which is effectively what he's saying. In other words, as I mentioned last segment, Dershowitz is going to say even if President Trump is has been proven to be violating, uh, abusing his power, that's not impeachable. That's something for the voters to decide effectively. I don't want to overly simplify it, but that's the gist of what it is, what his defense is going to be. And so I mentioned last segment that it's hard for people to have a constitutionally rooted opinion on that particular matter when they don't have any idea what the Constitution says. 
And I mentioned that a third of Americans – I'm going to look at this. There's a study here, or a, a survey, I should say, that was posted by CNN. Let me – CNN, I know. This is back in 2017. Let's see if I can find this really quickly. But CNN says um, – this, this study revealed some things here that just shows really how bad – how poor – here it is. Americans know literally nothing about the Constitution. My good friend Chris Saliza. Chris Saliza writing this, but he has some bullet points here. Number one, it says more than one in three people, 37%, could not name a single right protected by the First Amendment. Right, The freedom of religion, the freedom of press, the freedom to, uh, to uh, petition your government for a – Redress of, of grievances. People couldn't name anything in the First Amendment. 37%. 26%. This is incredible. Only 26% of Americans can name all three branches of their government. This was in 2017. In 2011, that number was 38%. So that tells me, millennials, you better pick it up because that's a 12% decrease. Not that 38% was anything to write home about. But, but only 26% of the American public can tell you that the three branches of the, of the government are the executive, uh, legislative, and judiciary branches. One in three can't name – 33%. One in three cannot name any branch of government. 33% of Americans cannot name – if you're on the highway right now in a three-lane highway and you're in the middle lane and there's one on each side of you and you know um, – well, one of those two people beside you statistically don't know any of the branches of government. So, and there's other things that this this survey found as well, this study found. But my point is is in saying, look, we have a a it, it's amazing to me. We have all this information at our fingertips, right? We can Google anything. I've said this before. Information is everywhere. People sometimes people think, you know, information's everywhere. I don't really need to know anything. It's Google's my brain. But you see what happens is when you take that to the extreme, and I'm not saying you should necessarily clutter your mind with insignificant facts and trivial information, unless you want to be a master of trivial pursuit or some some board game like that. But what I am saying is that we have, as a consequence of this, to some degree, we become a culture that's high on information but low on wisdom. We don't know what to do with the information that we have. Google tells us who or what a page that Google puts to the top of the search engine uh, request tells us we don't know anything about that person. Chances are it's run by some leftist organization, right? Google said this is the sort of information we want the American people to know. We don't want some conservative perspective. We like this this liberal perspective. Take your pick. I mean the Whatever the issue is, the point is is that there's a, a misunderstanding of truly important issues. I say all this to say, all this to say that one of the things that we are in the process of working on now that we've got hour two launching next week, the next thing that we're going to be doing is having some online courses that address some some fundamental issues. And there's a couple of different online courses that I'm going to uh, put together that I've already been working on for some time, and we've got. Um, kind of a, a beta group. So if you're interested in being a part, and I'm going to be the one who's doing these online courses, it'll be my mug that you see on the video. 
There's nothing we can do about that. I can hide it, hide my face for radio on the radio, but I can't hide it on online videos. So it'll be there, right there for you to see. But if you're interested in that, there's the, the best way to do to to get information on that and to be a part of that is to either sign up for our newsletter. If you already have, you'll get this information whenever things are up and running. If not, you can go to toddhuffshow.com slash subscribe, toddhuffshow.com slash subscribe, or you can grab your cell phones. Don't do this while you're driving, but when you get to the next place when you can legally text, you can text the word huff, H-U, Frank Frank, H-U-F-F, my last name, to the number 31996. Text HUFF to 31996. That will uh, subscribe you to the newsletter, and you'll get that information um, when we start these uh, online courses, the pilot group, the beta group, um, and so forth with this, which is really geared at addressing these underlying important issues, which is the lack of understanding Americans have pertaining to the Constitution, our, our, our system of government, and not just to politically... Uh, you know, to use whatever means necessary that, that exists out there to advance our political uh, beliefs and objectives, but instead to work within the, ref- uh, the constraints, the confines of the Constitution, the guardrails set forth by our founders. So anyway, wanted to get that in. Love to have you subscribe to the newsletter, and that'll get you information once that uh, once those pilot, that uh, beta group is ready to go. So I'm going to take a break. When we get back, I want to talk a little bit. There's lots I want to get to today. I always feel this way on a Monday, but I want to talk a little bit about what's happening in the state of Virginia. I want to talk a little bit about the Second Amendment, gun rights, this uh, the, these protests and so forth that are happening in Richmond, Virginia today. But I will do that when we return. You are listening to Conservative Not Bitter Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff. Back in just a minute. Welcome back. So, depending upon, uh, th- there's another issue that's um, hitting a boiling point, which affects us all, right? We're dealing with or talking about here the issue of guns in the state of Virginia. Issue of guns in Virginia. The Democrats have taken over there. They have talked about instituting gun control measures policies, gun legislation that um, for those who are defenders of the Second Amendment, as I am, folks are upset by the rhetoric, discussion, intention, action of their state's government under the leadership of Democrat Governor Ralph Northam. And so there is a rally today in Richmond, in Richmond, the capital of, of the state. And all kind there's been all sorts of escalation here, right? I mean, we've got uh, we've got um, the, the, the governor moving to ban weapons. They've got fencing up around the capital and so forth, banning, banning um, weapons from the grounds, which has only further, Upset and concerned those who are in favor of the right to keep and bear arms, the right to carry said arms for their own personal protection. Whatever their reasoning and rationale is, it's their the, the point is, is that it's their God given uh, 
God-given right. And so this has all descended upon this, this state. Now, this is the Virginia. Look, Virginia is an interesting state. You take, you take that metropolitan D.C. area out of the equation and, and the Richmond area, the bigger cities, and you get into other parts of Virginia, including places like Virginia Beach. This is a place that um, there's, there's some very conservative folks. And you get into western Virginia, not West Virginia, but the western part of the state of Virginia – a lot of conservative folks. And so this is this is concerning for folks who are First Amendment, you know, believers in the First Amendment, or excuse me, Second Amendment, believers in the right to keep and bear arms, which again, I am. But they see these things happening. They see the direction the state is taking. They see how their how quickly their rights can be, I guess, stymied, taken away, whatever the case may be. They can't even go and peaceably protest because of what they might do, what they might do with with their weapons, even though there's, you know, individually these folks, they, they have their weapons every day and aren't using them. But the courts have upheld the governor's decision to keep these uh, guns outside of, you know, to, to not allow these guns to these protests because, of course, this could – be a handy instrument in the minds of, of you know these these courts and of the governor that you know emotions get inflamed and someone's going to grab a weapon and just start start shooting. That's how these folks view the uh, legal gun owners of this this nation. And so there's there's this clash, right? This clash that's taking place in Virginia in a state where there are a lot of freedom loving Second Amendment supporting Americans, where there's a lot of Hunters, which that's not the only reason for the Second Amendment, by the way. In fact, it doesn't technically have anything to do with it other than to say a weapon provides you the opportunity to to do not just you know, to defend yourself, but to have the opportunity to to hunt, right? If, if you want to provide for your family that way, it's all based in the ideas of freedom. But we didn't have the Second Amendment just to you know let hunters uh, provide for their families. It was it was to protect themselves from whatever enemy or threat they deemed appropriate up to and including their their government. So how this plays out, what happens next? Not just at the the rally today. The rally is kind of the I mean it's it's it it does certainly tell us something, but it's it's largely symbolic. What really matters is what happens with this these pieces of legislation after the fact. Can the second amendment uh, respecting you know, the, the, the freedom-loving American spirit went out here? Or will there be more gun control burdens and so forth unnecessarily in many cases placed upon the, the gun owners here? Well, not here, but in the state of Virginia. And this could apply. Look, these things expand. If something happens in the state of Virginia, what states, what states next? And I think that's what concerns a lot of people here locally is because these things do expand. So we'll keep our eye on that. And really, the rally is, is important, right? And what people can do and, and exercise their freedom certainly, certainly important. What happens with this, these leg, pieces of legislation and how far these leftists or Democrats in the state of Virginia will push this is another, another issue that we will keep our eye on. And these things certainly spread across regions and countries, uh, the, the country of here, United States, rather quickly. So... That's happening today. We'll keep our eye on that as well. But I've got to take a time out long in this segment. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I am your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. 
one more thing, as I'm alluding, I alluded to this off the top. I've got to get this in. The New York Times, the New York Times, I know you've all been eagerly holding your breath with anticipation, determining, waiting to, uh, to see who the New York Times has endorsed in this Democrat primary, in this socialist primary. And now you no longer have to wait, although you might be a little bit confused because typically they endorse one single candidate. Not the case this time. They have decided to endorse both Elizabeth Warren, my cousin Liz, make-believe Native American, and Amy Klobuchar for president of the United States. And they've outlined their reasons and rationale in their editorial piece or whatever. But the point is they've changed it because Trump has turned the election process and things that we have known and held true for generations on their head, on their heads – which means the New York Times, in response, must endorse two candidates because they don't know what's going to happen, just in case they're going to hedge their bets here. Anyone but Trump, basically. So, guys, I've got to go. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. SDG. See you tomorrow. Take care.